The question that I saw was posed like this. Why do brothers hate each other? And the answer uh, directs you to a uh, website. Here's what answer is given in response to the question, why do brothers hate each other? In many families, the children count their siblings among their friends. But it's also common for siblings to be great friends on one day and hateful to one another on the next. They often compete with, are jealous of, and harbor resentment of one another. You've likely seen this particular green-eyed monster. It's known as sibling rivalry, and it's universal. So the medicinenet.com tells us. And of all the issues you encounter in parenting, sibling rivalry may be among the most frustrating. Some experts say sibling rivalry stems from children competing for their parents' love. Others say the children's goal is parental recognition or attention. Sibling rivalry can start even before the second child comes into the picture. I trust that many of us may have some familiarity, unlike Hayden and his family, as they have perfect children. That's fantastic. We are early on. We are early on into looking at Joseph and Genesis 37 through 50. Let me uh, very quickly uh, just give you a few hooks for your mind, a few hooks to, as it were, to hang your hat on uh, for today's message and also beyond that for uh, Genesis 37 through 50. So before we even uh, truly dive in today, here's, here's a few hooks. One of those would be, what is the theme, this is important, what is the theme of Genesis 37 through 50? This is the part of the Word of God that we're looking at section by section, uh, hopefully letting His Word dictate the agenda. What's the theme for these 14 chapters? Well, how about this? You meant it for evil, but God meant it, meant it for good which is straight out of Genesis 37 through 50, the fuller version says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. The theme of Genesis 37 through 50. Well, another hook very quickly. What, what about the theme of the whole book? Uh, this is the end of the book, the last quarter of the book. So, so we don't want to divorce it from the book of Genesis where it's found. So what about the theme for the entire book? And it could be said that the theme of Genesis very simply is creation, sin, and recreation. Or if you like, as we like to say, creation, fall, and redemption would be the simple theme of the book of Genesis. What about a key verse in the book of Genesis? Well, you don't have to turn there. You might already know this one, but listen to this key verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's Genesis 15. And it's sometimes been called the first gospel, the first announcement of the gospel. So there's three quick hooks for you. A key verse in the book of Genesis, Genesis 3.15, the first gospel, the theme of the book of Genesis, creation, fall, redemption, and the theme, definitely keep that in mind, of our section on Joseph, God meant it for good. Two main headings this morning. Two main headings. The second heading is going to be this. Uh, Joseph is sold into slavery, and it's Genesis 37. But first, before we get there, let me give you the first heading this morning, and it's this. Heading number one. Dear friends, you cannot claim to know God and go on hating your brother. Or you could say it like this, if, if you have, if we have ongoing hatred for a brother, so not just, not just a moment of sinful hatred, but continual hatred. If we have ongoing hatred for a brother, then we show the true state of our heart. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John. You can just listen. 1 John chapter 3 says this, and at the risk of saying it too many times, let me mention again the heading, you cannot claim to know God and go on hating your brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know, assurance, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, sounds like what Jesus taught. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's as though John says, if this is true, then don't fool yourself. But if this is true, if in your imperfect life as a Christian, love for the brothers abides that's one way you can be assured by God that you belong to God through Jesus Christ. We want to talk about brothers at war this morning. We want to talk about brothers in war. And boy, do we see this in Scripture. You know, today we're in Genesis chapter 37, but we see this in Genesis 38. We see brothers at war. Uh, just very quickly, we see a man named Onan or Onan who, who callously, hard-heartedly, refuses to raise up offspring for his deceased brother in a common custom that was called leveret marriage in that day. He refused to raise up offspring for his dead brother. So we see it in Genesis chapter 38. We see it here today in our passage. And we see it, what did John just say in 1 John chapter 3? He takes us back to Genesis chapter 4, right? So we see it with Cain and Abel. 
And we see this, this murderous rage because remember Jesus said, it is out of the heart flow these, these sins that bring about the judgment of God. So that's heading number one. Let's go ahead and move into heading number two. Joseph is sold into slavery. Look with me again at Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Look with me at what we started reading there in verse 12. Genesis 37, 12 says, Now his brothers uh, went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, not the first time that that's appeared, same, same man, Israel, Jacob. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Stop reading there for a moment. So what do we have going on here? It's not in these three verses that we've just read. It's not necessarily uh, some dramatic action. Uh, just on the surface of the text, just looking at the words in these four or five verses, we have uh, just looking at the surface by way of repetition. We have, I think, three times the mention of pasturing the flock, pasturing the flock, and three times the mention of this place called Shechem. We want to give attention in a little bit to what comes before this and to what sets the stage for this, but this is the main focus that we want to look at here. Joseph is sold into slavery, and Joseph is sold into slavery by these seemingly mundane actions that set everything into motion. And so, boys and girls of all ages, we see in the story here that Joseph presents himself to his father upon request, and he says, Father, here I am. Uh, it seems pretty clear that neither Jacob or Israel nor Joseph uh, necessarily are thinking that anything could come uh, bad of this request. Son, I, I, you know that your brothers are, are pasturing the flock out in Shechem, so I, what I want you to do, I want you to go and, and check on them and to bring me word. And so what happens next, as we read earlier? What happens in this, in this wonderful story of the, of the providence of God of God's salvation through his chosen, listen, God's salvation through his chosen persecuted man, what happens is that in obedience to his father, Joseph goes to Shechem. This was not close. Uh, so he, he I've, I've heard, and I think in one instance, it was 50 miles away. And so he didn't have his mini Cooper to make it in 50 minutes. Uh, this, is, this is a journey. Some have pointed out maybe Jacob was not wise uh, to send his young son, Joseph, on this journey. But nevertheless, he goes. He arrives in Shechem, and we're told of this unnamed man, this a man, a man saw Joseph kind of looking around, doing something that we should do uh, if we are locals. And if we see somebody who looks like they've lost their way and needs help, this, this man says, well, what are you looking for? This man just so happens to be there. It just so happens to be, if you pay attention to the story, that this man, and maybe nobody else, maybe this, probably this man alone, 
had heard what Joseph's brothers had said. I'm looking for my brothers who are pasturing the flock. Can you tell me where they are? He says to the man, and the man says, I heard them say, I heard them say that they were going to go to Dothan, which is 13 miles from Shechem. And so Joseph continues on his journey from Shechem to to Dothan, 13 miles away. And as the story goes, and as particularly as you look at verse 18, we see that Joseph arrives in Dothan, and before he sees his brothers, his brothers see him, uh, the text says in verse 18, from afar. And they see him, and, and oh, by the way, in a, in a similar way, as we're told in the Gospels about Jesus, this says of Joseph that they saw him and that they conspired and plotted to kill him. They conspired and plotted to kill him. They see him. How did they recognize Joseph from a distance? As they had gone from Shechem to Dothan, 13 miles away, they see, how did they recognize him? Well, we don't know for sure. Maybe his coat of many colors. Maybe, as, as we sometimes say, maybe his gait. Maybe he had a certain way of walking. Whatever it was, they see him from a distance. And before he has any time to arrive to them, they are already conspiring and plotting to kill him. And what we see in this story is that the plot to kill jo- Joseph takes two twists or two turns What are those two twists or two turns? Well, the first twist, uh, get this, is is from Reuben. And Reuben says, let's abandon plan A. This is still going to be good. Let's not kill him and throw him into the pit and say that a vicious animal killed him. That That was the whole plan, to say that a vicious animal had attacked him, and that was the accidental cause of Joseph's death. No, Reuben says, and I, I led you on a little bit earlier when we were reading this. Reuben says, let's not do this. Instead, let's throw him alive into a pit, which actually would have been in some ways even worse, a, a more terrible way to die. And the text tells us, did you remember that Reuben did this because why? Why did Reuben say, let's not kill him and throw him into the pit? Let's just throw him in the pit and leave him to die so that he could come back later and get Joseph out of the pit and bring him to his father. What a great thing. Probably not. Probably not. Because in Genesis chapter 35, in Genesis 35, Reuben lay with his father's concubine. Reuben, Jacob's son, slept with his father's concubine. And therefore, Reuben, uh, you can imagine, was not in a good relationship with his father, Jacob. He was on the outs with Jacob. So probably what's going on here, we don't know for sure, probably is Reuben has been looking for some opportunity. Do you see? He's been looking for an opportunity to get back in the good graces of his father, probably not even to mend the relationship with his father, but to get what's coming to him and what he forfeited by his foolish lust and sexual sin. It's probably what's going on with Reuben here, saying, I want to to keep him alive. I want to bring him back to my father. That's plot twist number one. Brothers at war. Now, on a lighter note, of course, 
we might see this in our own families today. Brothers, as we read earlier from that psychological website who can be dear friends or siblings, dear friends at one time, and looks like they hate each other at the next time. This story is callous, hard-hearted. What I see at the center of this story is something very small. It's a phrase, I think it's in verse 25, and it says simply this, they sat down to eat. What does that mean? It means that their goal, the main goal, the main goal of the brothers, of Joseph's brothers, was to what? Was to get rid of him. That's the main goal, to get rid of him, to kill him. And so it's going to be okay. We don't have to kill him ourselves. We will let him die in the dry cistern. Reuben, good idea. We'll go with you, even though they didn't know what was in Reuben's heart and motivation. They put Joseph into the dry cistern, and the text simply says, and they sat down to eat. As Alistair Begg says, it's as though they sat down and began to say, does anyone have ketchup for these fries? And you think about the the juxtaposition of throwing your own flesh and blood, your own brother into a cistern and leaving him to die and then just sitting down around the fire to eat. And then plot twist number two. They're sitting there eating and they see from a distance this caravan that is coming from or that is going to Egypt. It's the Ishmaelites or the Midianites. And Judah... Judah, who until the end of chapter 38, until God opens his eyes, and until he by grace sees his sin and repents of his sin, this time it's not Reuben, it's Judah. Judah has an idea. You know what? Why would we leave him there when we could make money? You know, we could, we could pull him out of this cistern and we could sell him as a slave. And the price that they get, 20 shekels of silver, was indeed the common price for that age of a male slave at that time. You know, we could each get, they're not going to each get rich, but we could each get something, Judah says to them. And so why don't we sell him? Yeah, you know, that's a good idea, Judah. Reuben had a good idea. You've got a good idea. So let's do it. They pull him up out of the dry cistern. The Ishmaelites, the Midianites come by bearing their gum and myrrh and balm going to Egypt, and in a, again, the goal is to get rid of him. The plan all along is to say that it was an accident, that a ferocious animal attacked him. And so it is carried out, and they trade him, they sell him as a slave. Verse 28, look at it with me. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Of course, it's been pointed out that in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, there was another Joseph that went down to Egypt. Different Joseph, of course. Verse 29. Look at verse 29 with me. We haven't read this yet. Uh, When Reuben returned to the pit, get this, you remember Reuben, the first plot twist. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Stop. Stop at the end of 29. 
We don't know this for sure, as I said earlier, but it does seem likely that Reuben was not necessarily doing what it seems like at first reading that he's doing. He's probably not saying, I love my brother. I love my father. In spite of my other brothers, I want to save him. Does verse 29 not just show the depths of his depravity, if that is true? He returned to his brothers in verse 30 and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? I am already on the outs with my father. This will not help me. Verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe. Was it a coat of many colors? Maybe, maybe not. And slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. Pause again. They're they're going to deceive who? They're going to deceive their father, who is Israel, who is Jacob, right? And we just might remember there's a bit of irony here because Jacob had himself... Jacob himself with his father, Isaac, had been involved in a duping of his own, which involved what? The same thing, a garment and a goat. There's a bit of irony here that the same way that Jacob used to deceive will now be used to deceive Jacob. Verse 31 again, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. Would you just notice the callous, hard hearted nature. This actually is the Cain and Abel story. This follows the same line as Cain and Abel. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, notice they don't lie. You can live your life in rebellion against God and you can handle things in a way that you can say, I didn't lie. This we have found, Father, Middle of verse 32, please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he, that is Israel, identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. (laughs) Yeah, right? Father, we love you. We're so sorry. Not really. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Notice verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. Now, I don't want to uh, camp out on this long. I could because in one sense, it is the main thing. And that is that our God, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, is He your God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He your Father? The God of the Bible, make no mistake about it, is lovingly in control, listen to me, of everything. The God of the Bible is lovingly and powerfully in control of everything. So by the way, one of the things that you take away, my dear brother and sister, especially if you are in Christ, 
And if you are tempted to ask the question, does God care? What sense can I make of the mess that my life may be in? I think even about one particular saint right now. Does God care? What sense? God, God's not actually mentioned in this passage. We don't, see, we don't see God, so to speak, front and center. But God is lovingly in control of everything. So let me point this out. Listen to this. What has to happen? What has to happen in this story and in the story at large for God's one purpose of saving his people to be accomplished? Well, a lot of coincidences have to happen. First, consider all of the coincidences that were necessary to get Joseph down to Egypt. To begin with, Jacob needed to send Joseph to check on his brothers. Joseph then had to meet the man who told him that the brothers had gone to Dothan. If the brothers had stayed in Shechem, Joseph could easily have found them but then they wouldn't have been on the main camel route down to Egypt. What is more, listen, even though Dothan was on the main camel route, days or perhaps weeks could pass without seeing one heading in the right direction. Reuben's plan to put Joseph in the pit rather than kill him immediately had to be accepted. But it also had to fail, ultimately, because Reuben was absent when the crucial discussion took place to sell Joseph. And you can go on and on and on. And what is the point? The point is, if you look at it fairly, and if you look at it clearly, you see that there are so many coincidences. And you see clearly, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Let me give you a passage. And this is Acts chapter 7. And again, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. And the patriarchs, Acts chapter 7 the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions. God is, dare I say, sovereign over the evil actions and intentions of men. God is over all. He is in control of the evil plans and of the evil actions of men. Why? Because he's God. But, but, but what does that mean for your experience? What does that mean for our experience? Listen, it's one thing to say, look at the story of Joseph and see that God is lovingly in control of everything. It's another thing to say, when that intersects with my life, what does that mean for me? What did it mean for Jacob? What did it mean for Joseph? When that, the true story of the comprehensive sovereignty of God intersects with a believer's life today? What does that mean? And very quickly, just think about Joseph and Jacob. In one sense, as it has been said, it meant for both of them the dashing end of their dreams. Do you see? For both of them, their dreams had crumbled and fallen to the ground, both for father and son. I mean, what, what glimmer of hope do you have if you're Jacob or Joseph? What glimmer of hope do you have if you're bedridden and you're, and you're in advanced age and all you can do is hear the doctors and others say, we're going to manage the pain. When the sovereignty of God intersects with our lives, that's where we see. That's where we see the, the benefit of the scriptures. Will we believe the gospel? 
Joseph and Jacob are, are God-fearing, but at this point in time, where's God? Does God care? Where is he? He's not explicitly in this passage. Of course, he is every on every page of the Bible, so to speak. Joseph is sold into slavery. Can I ask this question? Why? I've already given you the two headings. The first one had to do with 1 John chapter 3, that we cannot claim to know God and continually hate our brother. May the Lord help us with that. The second heading is that Joseph is sold into slavery, and I ask you why. Why was Joseph sold into slavery? Because his brothers hated him. Would you look with me quickly at the beginning of the chapter? Answer. Answer because his brothers hated him. Now, look at this. Chapter 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And verse 2a, that is the beginning of verse 2, gives you another hook. How do I read the book of Genesis? Remember, brothers and sisters, let's swim in the Bible. Let's eat the Bible. Let's develop, by grace, those spiritual disciplines. How do you read the book of Genesis? Well, here's another hook. Verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Whoever cares about stuff like that? That's the 10th that's the and final statement of that sort in the book of Genesis. These are the generations of. These are the generations of. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth, etc., etc. And here we have the final one, which is to tell us, listen, which is to tell us that Genesis 37 through 50 represents the story of the family of Israel on the cusp of God's great redemption plan in the book of Exodus, which pictures the greatest redemption plan of all through the cross of Jesus Christ. These are the, this is the story for the next 14 chapters of the family of Jacob. Oh, and don't forget Genesis 3.15. God is bringing about his redemption through the seed that will crush the head of the serpent. Joseph, we read, being 17 years old, was a good-looking dude, chapter 39 tells us, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, one of the ladies that Reuben had laid with in verse, or chapter 35, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. I just want to point out to you, I can't, I can't spend much time at all in verses 1 through 11, but I want to look at it quickly, and I want to say this to you. Joseph was hated. He was not perfect, but he was chosen. Let this be clear. Joseph was not perfect. He was chosen and he was hated. Uh, Verse two, again, the end of verse two, he brought a bad report of them to their father. Everybody loves a tattletale. Everybody loves a tale bearer. He brought a report of them to their father. Daddy, Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of their sons. And of course, it's been pointed out many times. There seems to be a problem of parental favoritism here, right? The, point out, the problem of parental favoritism. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and because he was the son of Rachel. And he made him a robe of many colors. But, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, what? What? 
They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and Joseph's 17, and Joseph's already a tattletale in a sense. He's a good guy. He, he's a good dude, but he's, a, he, he's naive. And so he's a tattletale, if you read it on the surface of it. And then, he's, then he thinks it's a good idea to go and say, hey, guys, I had this dream, verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. That's the second time the text says they hated him. Verse 6. He said to them, hear this dream that I dream. Don't you want to hear my dream? No, we hate you. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, look, 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 your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaves. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him third time. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. This guy, who does he think he is? He's ridiculous. I hate him. Verse 9, then he dreamed another dream. The second dream, by the way, is a pattern in the book of Genesis. It brings confirmation. Who are the dreams from? Probably the dreams are from God. Two times, basically the same message to confirm it from God, a revelation from God. He dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. Smart move, Joseph. Maybe not and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Don't you want to hear it? Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? But then Jacob becomes a little bit like Mary. And the text says, Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but like Mary, his father kept the saying in mind. And we might add and pondered all of these things in his heart. Joseph is sold into slavery. Why? Because God had a providential plan to save his people through his chosen man who was persecuted and hated Joseph was sold into slavery. Why? Because his brothers were evil and sinful and they hated him. For this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. John says that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hear the gospel. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Would you give me a few more minutes of your attention? It has been pointed out, and I I personally find this compelling, what, what, was Joseph, what was Joseph thinking in this whole scenario? I mean, he seems like a happy-go-lucky guy. Yeah, Dad, I'll go. Hey, look, there they are. Not knowing that they've already been plotting to kill him. And then, bam, 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 it all happens. What's going through his mind? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that the narrator, Moses, doesn't put any words at all on the lips of Joseph. 
And you can study the Word of God and make of this what you will. I, I don't make this a major point. I make it a strong minor point. But of course, the Scriptures tell us of our Savior in Isaiah chapter 53. Listen, listen. Of the suffering servant, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And what is said of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 3 is borne out of the Lord Jesus Christ multiple times in the gospel stories of his arrest and trial and crucifixion. He opened not his mouth. And it seems, I would say, intentional that the author here has chosen, at least here, at least here, not to put any words at all on the lips of the man who was hated and who suffered, ultimately that he would bring the people of God's salvation. I'll share this with you in closing. And this is not, this is not original with me. But I would remind you that all of Scripture is, as James says, it is as a mirror. And we should look in the mirror and not walk away quickly. But if we truly want to know God, we should say, God, help me to see you and help me to see myself truly for who I am. We see the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Listen to these. Listen. As Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him, so Jesus' brothers, Matthew 26, the chief priests and the elders, quote, conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. As Joseph's brothers sold him for 20 pieces of silver, so Jesus' disciple Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. As Joseph's brothers handed him over to Gentiles, so Jesus' brothers handed him over to Gentiles, Matthew 27. As Joseph suffered in silence, so at his trial Jesus was silent. And as God used the evil deeds of Joseph's brothers eventually to save his people, so God used the evil, wicked deeds of men against his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save his people. But let us make no mistake. Jesus is much greater than Joseph. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah of Israel, and he is the smitten, stricken Savior of the world. Have you, I ask you, bowed the knee to King Jesus? As we heard Hayden say, as the Lord of your life. Because it's not a question of will you make him Lord. He is that, and he is overall, including over the actions of evil, sinful men. Oh, and by the way, when your life feels like Jacob or Joseph, God, God, I believe in you, and you have allowed the shattering of my dreams. He is for his people in everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that according to Romans chapter 8 and according to the witness of the entire Bible, you are for your church. You have orchestrated all things for your glory and for the flourishing of your people. And so open our eyes and help us to see that in this glimmer of Joseph in this wonderful story, but help us to behold our God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.